many of the problems that, that the, the folks in Niche Down were trying to solve were very personal problems, yeah. right? So Sarah Blakely, she, she had this like personal issue that she was trying to deal with with the stupid pantyhose and she had to wear them and she cut the feet off and how could I do this better? And, you know, the, the, uh, the folks at Gojo with the soap, that was again, you know, she didn't want that harsh stuff on her hands. And so she had to, you know, figure out a, form, a new formula. But the, the problems in many instances are very personal. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. And we are proudly sponsored by the good people at Oracle NetSuite. They want to help you turbocharge your growth. So go to NetSuite dot com slash different today to set up a free growth review with an expert in your industry. That's netsuite.com slash different. On today's episode, two of my absolutely favorite people. These two women make me glad to be alive, and I know they'll make you glad to be alive too. Dushka Zapata and Heather Clancy. And it turns out, I believe, they are two of the most important writers working today. Uh, Dushka, as you know, is our most regular guest here on this podcast, and uh, she's most famous for being one of the top writers on question and answer platform Quora.com. Heather Clancy is a longtime celebrated journalist, and she also happens to be the co-author with me on Niche Down. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Dushka puts Heather and I under the microscope. We talk about what it means to niche down why being different is a superpower, and why this book is so personal to Heather and I, uh, and so much more. So if you're interested in niching down or you've ever thought about writing a book, there's a ton of takeaways you'll get from this episode. Check out Lockhead.com for the show notes and more about Dushka and Heather's uh, background and the key links from this episode. Here we go. Hey ho, let's go. I want to start with when you were little, Christopher, and I want you to explain to me what it's like to be dyslexic. Oh, wow. Well, I guess the first part is when you're little and dyslexia is not a well-known thing, you don't know you're dyslexic and the world doesn't know you're dyslexic. Yeah. So I think if you get, I think when you get diagnosed probably matters a lot as I've talked to other dyslexics. So that would be the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing I would tell you is, you know, my life has been one giant dichotomy, one giant bipolar adventure. So, on, you know, on one hand, look, and this may sound arrogant, but I knew I was really smart about a bunch of stuff. But I also knew I was really stupid about a bunch of stuff. And I couldn't reconcile it. It didn't make any sense why I had all these abilities over here. And people told me I was special, not special in the bad way, but in the good way. Um, but at the same time, math was over for me in grade three. School, yeah, by grade four, school was terrible. So up to grade three, it was okay. Not great. I didn't love it. You know, some kids love it. Mm -hmm. But by grade four, um, here, actually, here's the proof. In grade three, I won an award for being the most mature kid in my class. Oh, my God. And that's, grade, and that's where you peaked. <laughs> that's where I peaked. And grade four, I spent, you know, Jackie could tell you, of course, 
but some massive percentage of time in the principal's office. And my mom was like, what is going on? My kid has excellent grades, most mature boy, da, da, da. And then he's doing all this horrible stuff a year later. So mostly acting out in class. Mm -hmm. You know, when you tell a kid with ADHD and dyslexia and dyscalculia and, you know, I don't know that I'm bipolar per se, but I'm somewhere on that spectrum and oh, and the other one I found out, this is the new one I've learned lately, is executive function disorder, which is sort of a, I don't know what's left and right and north and south, and I can't put together IKEA furniture and parallel parking's hard. I don't and think shit. anyone can put together IKEA furniture. Yeah. <laughs> I know. My friends at TaskRabbit can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the, the simple answer to your question is just a real dichotomy of an experience. You know, I was like amazing here and completely useless here and very little in between. And I, I hate that word stupid and I hate that word useless, Christopher, because it's it's just you're not balanced and you're balanced in a different way than other people. And it's that, ah, I hate that word stupid. So just okay, stop well, using would, that word stupid about yourself. What would you have me say then? I would say that you are, you, you perform differently in, that, in those areas. You have a different level of focus, frankly. I mean, it's just, I I don't like that word. It just, it's not that you're stupid. You just, your brain is focusing on other things or it's focusing differently on those areas. Okay. I'll I'll try and stop saying that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So, and then most of my life, Dushka, and still to some degree today, um, less so of course, but I, I, I have felt like an alien on planet earth, you know? (laughs) And I think a lot of us do for different reasons, but I certainly have, certainly have always felt, um, you know, like a misfit or an outcast. So when did you stop wanting to be like other people and realize that it was being you that was the way out of everything? When, when, when did this realization of, oh, I need to be more myself rather than less myself happen? Yeah, that's a great question. The real answer to the question is in waves over time. So like as a young man, when I was doing really poorly in school, my mom, Jackie, God bless her, she knew I wasn't dumb. It didn't make sense to her. There was no awareness of all this learning different stuff, really. Maybe there was, but not in the world that we were in. So I don't know that she ever went there, but it didn't make sense to her that I was so creative and I was playing music and I could act and sing and do all this other stuff. And, um, and I mean, I would get like four out of a thousand, out of a hundred in math. Like it just, and it got worse and worse. So anyway, long story longer, she found a, a school in Montreal, God bless them. That was 50% music, art and drama. And I went to that school for middle school and, um, I became one of the superstars in that school. I was the lead in the play multiple times. And yeah, it, look, it's always a big deal for a kid to be lead in the play. It's an even bigger deal, I think, to be the lead in the play in a fine arts school. And not just the lead in my grade, for the school, which went from kindergarten to graduation of high school. And I was the lead two years in a row. So I stood out. And I, I, I naturally, to answer your question, went for it in those areas and at the same time, every report card, math, science, geography, all this stuff, terrible. Mm-hmm. 
And Heather, do you have a similar version? I, I know you less well than I know Christopher, mm-hmm. but do you have a similar version when you were little, um, you know, before you decided what you wanted to do when you grow up, grew up or before you identified, you know, all of these things, I, fe- I feel isolated or I feel alone or I don't belong mm-hmm. or I'm not mm-hmm. like other people. Like, what is your equivalent of that story? Because I feel we all have one. My, my equivalent of that story is I am the world's most boring person <laughs> compared to Christopher. I was one of those kids that was like absolutely across the board a really good student. And it didn't matter if it was math. It didn't matter if it was like I took pre-calc. I took advanced physics. I took, but my body and mind and soul wanted to be in the creative stuff. So I, I was naturally over there like when I, when I decided to go, um, to college, it was one of those things where you take that stupid, you know, SAT test and they're supposed to, you're supposed to have like, that's supposed to point your way. I got the same score on both. So for me, um, I, and I'm, I'm programmed in a totally different way than Christopher. I am absolutely a rules person. Um, I I have always been, and that's been one of my rules, like rules. So I, you know, I have to be perfect. I have to do this. So for me, um, kind of forcing my way out to be, to let the me out that is in there was, was a harder thing because I could, could have gone in so many different directions that it was almost a little bit, um, I, I had to be shoved. Right. So it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't consciously, I know Christopher probably thinks I consciously made the choice to, to be my own niche. But I kind of, I got shoved in a number of directions over time. So for example, I got shoved towards technology reporting. Who was doing the shoving? Um, sometimes circumstances, just simple things like, for example, um, the reason, <laughs> actually, this is a little bit of a weird story, but I always thought that I would be, and I, this is why, one of the reasons I admire your writing so much, because you just write about so many just things that are so insightful and so fun that people can really relate to. And I always thought when I was in college, I wanted to be a magazine. I wanted to go write for Vanity Fair and just be like this great writer and blah, blah, blah. And out of college, I, my first job was at United Press International and it was on the business desk. And the reason that I got that job was my parents my parents had um, really focused on helping me do just lots of different. So they looked at my the abil- my ability to do lots of different things. So they shoved me in lots of different directions. Like try this, try that. Do you like this topic? So they encouraged that, which which I would have to say was very helpful. And the reason I got my job at United Press was because um, I wrote a letter to the business editor, but I included like a a play review I had written. <laughs> For a, I think it was actually the movie Blue Velvet. If you can remember that movie, that like crazy icky movie, but just I wacky. love Blue Velvet. That that review Dennis got my Hopper. job <laughs> to write about business journalism. So, you know, I I don't know what my point is, but my I guess my point is partly that my parents encouraged me to look at different things and kind of in some, you know, I'm happy with um, I I, I don't deal with change very well, so. When, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't seek change. I do deal with change well. I, if I get thrown over here, I just, boom, I adapt. I kind of like change on the fly. So that is a good skill that I have. Um, but I don't jump of my own accord, if that makes sense. 
parachutes. I won't jump over that cliff. I get sho- if I get shoved, I'll pull out my parachute. I'll, you know, get my wings. I'll go in the direction I want to go, but I don't consciously make that leap. Right. And what do you think brought the two of you together to write a book about being, about, <laughs> I guess, about ferociously being, you know, the part of you that you at some point wanted to hide? So Christopher is very convincing, as you know, but um, <laughs> the, the thing that brought us together was, well, I have known him for, for 25 years, I think it is. I, it, we don't know exactly the first time I interviewed him, but the, the thing that I always um, appreciated about my interviews with Christopher was that he was always, he was doing push, a lot of pushing. Think about it from this perspective, Heather, but I also was enabling him to, I asked, I know that I asked questions that helped him change his thesis on different things or that um, helped communicate those things in a, in a way that maybe he wasn't ready to communicate yet. So I, I know that I asked questions that helped change the messaging on things and, and helped form the messaging on things. Um, and so he knew that I had always been interested in entrepreneurship just because I, it, fortunately the technology industry has a lot of entrepreneurs and that's at the time what I was covering. And I was just always fascinated with what made you think of this idea and how did you get the, the notion to contact these people about it? And and I was always fascinated by that and all, always really interested in helping those people tell their stories. What makes you different? Why did you choose to do that? And I, I so when he thought about this book, um, it just sort of was a, a natural intersection, I think. Um, and I'm putting words in your mouth, Christopher, but, um, you know, that's from, from my perspective, how it come. I, 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 I got the call. <laughs> Um, because I, like I said before, I, I get my little routine and I'm good in my routine and I usually have to be shoved out of my routine to do something different. And when you ask someone questions, are the questions designed to get them to change their original thesis or are you just, um, haphazardly inquisitive? I think I'm, I'm inquisitive. I think that I just, um, I don't. Sometimes it's intended to challenge a point of view. Absolutely. Any good journalist does that. Any good um, observer of human nature will ask a question to, to convince someone to challenge their own point of view or to confirm their own point of view. So if you ask a question that raises a little bit of conflict, it does make you think about, do I really believe this? Yes, I do. And here's why. So sometimes, yes, um, my questions are meant to do that. Other times, um, you know, I just really honestly don't, I just, I, my brain will go off in a direction a couple steps maybe ahead of it. And I, I know I've asked questions of executives that they weren't thinking about. And I know that I've, I've, I, I know that I've done, uh, gotten people to think about things in a different way. And, 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 and I know it's kind of, I mean, you're, you, you know this, but, um, when, when someone says to me, wow, that's a great question on an interview. And I know that it's not just them kind of giving, you know, <laughs> stroking my ego, but I know it's a genuine reaction. I think, oh, good. You know, I, I just, I'm just a, a, an inquisitive person, naturally. And Christopher, what was the, what was the part of the book um, that most surprised you? Like uh, in, the, in the context of working with Heather, what part of the process surprised you the most? 
I think what surprised me the most is it just worked from the second we started working. We didn't, I don't remember, Heather, you correct me if I'm wrong. You know, it's been a several scotches ago now, but uh, <laughs> I don't remember us having any real detailed conversation about process or workflow or who was going to do what or how we were going to do it or when we should talk and when we should eat. There wasn't a lot of upfront. You know, I had a bunch of stuff. Heather, of course, brings 25 years so or whatever of her incredible career and relationships and amazing entrepreneurs and that she knew and had written about. And so, you know, I brought a big body of work. She brought a big body of work. And so we spent, I mean, do you remember, Heather? I don't remember any time on sort of how we were going to do it. You and I, it was, it was almost as if metaphorically we said yes. And then we stood on the high dive holding hands and went off into the deep end. So that was the first part. The second thing that I think was surprising but not unexpected by me is I don't remember one hiccup, one road bump, one, oh shit, I said something that pissed her off or, oh shit, I, now I got to talk to her about that or not a nothing. I mean, it sounds corny as shit, but m for me, and Heather obviously said, curious what you feel, but we were in flow from the second she said yes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Heather? So the, um, I did a lot of behind the scenes process engineering that, that was transparent to Christopher. Thank you. On purpose, because that's not his skill set. My skill set is to take a project, to figure out the pieces in that project, and then to work on those pieces. And so for this, I, frankly, I'd never written a book before. So I was kind of terrified. I was like, Oh my God, how, how, where do I start? Which chapter? And then I realized it wasn't going to necessarily be linear. However, I did, we did have to organize it and outline it. Like we need, I, I needed to know in my mind what the arc of the story was going to be. I wasn't necessarily going to start at the beginning and get to the end, but I need, needed to know what the arc would eventually be. So I spent a lot of time up front um, in between our different, our, our initial phone calls, kind of in my mind, no, you know, just thinking about what his, his philosophy was and um, adding my point of view to that and then mapping it out. So, but I totally agree with him on, on, on the, you know, the hiccup stuff. I, there wasn't um, the only, the only Frankly, the only thing that was a challenge for me was just I was overcommitted and I couldn't write fast enough. I was like, I want to get the, I want to, you know, and I, I, that was the only kind of frustration that I had um, along the way. And uh, I think the only thing we like maybe sort of kind of didn't agree on, <laughs> ironically, was like the font. Because <laughs> he, uh, what, what is it the one you love? Is it, um, uh I love uh, Courier. Courier, Courier. I, I found so, out afterwards there's this font called like Dyslexia something. I, there's a name for a font that is purpose built that is easy on the dyslexic eye. And it is very similar to Courier. courier. And I only found that out sort of two thirds of the way through. I'm like, oh, that's why I love Courier. <laughs> so we had, yeah. So we had this like little, um, you know, I intellectually just, in my mind, like the visual of it was it's slightly different. And, 
but at the same time, I was, I, I was like, wow, you know, Christopher really, if this is the thing that we need to have, if this is the way we need to present it, then this is the way we need to present it. But it was, that was just a hiccup that, um, that reflected our different, uh, just points of view. Uh, he, he, I, do I don't understand. I don't have the, um, I don't have that experience. I'm, I've since age, whatever, six, I've been under the covers like this reading books. And so, um, it just didn't matter as much to me. Um, and I, I didn't fully appreciate how difficult it was. Um, you know, when you get this big dense thing, you know, like how, how can you read it? So anyway, so that honestly was the only hiccup we had and I couldn't write fast enough. And we would kind of write back and forth and, and I would deliver a draft and we would massage it and have fun with it. And it was surprisingly easy to get the voice um, in sync, in my opinion. And through working with Christopher, Me too. do you think that you have a sense of how he perceives the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I have a much deeper appreciation of that. I didn't realize the extent to which he felt as passionate about entrepreneurship as, as, uh, as he does. And I also never fully appreciated the, um, talent that he has in having these amazing conversations with, individuals that we want to know more about and he just has this he just has this way of of helping them helping amplify what's really interesting about that person and asking questions that are the ones that you would want to ask if you were having a, a, a scotch or something with that person and not being too formal and not not engineering a conversation in a way that an interviewer would, but having an actual conversation and making that person more real, making that person more of a person uh, to you than you might've appreciated in the past. Um, You know, instead of them being this, like they they just seem more, more accessible after a conversation on legends and losers on the, on the podcast. So for me, um, you know, I have a much deeper appreciation and and a, a respect for, the ability to highlight the work that um, that people are doing and what makes them different and what makes them unique and and and, and the way that he encourages that is just uh, really um, refreshing and and it's truly different in in the style of of the you know there's so many people that are trying to help decipher and decode what makes someone successful as an entrepreneur. And I just feel like this point of view is, is underappreciated. And Christopher, of all the people that you've spoken to, I mean, for the book, but also in Legends and Losers, of all the people that you've spoken to, like, what do you think are the, um, I'm, I'm super interested in, um, like, people's unique stories are always interesting, but I'm interested in what the commonalities are so one commonality obviously is the one that you present in the book which is um the the part of you that makes you different and weird is is the part of you that makes you wonderful and that's the part that you're supposed to be exploring more but have you found any other insights that you think um show up again and again that you think might be material for 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 future books that you guys write together yeah i i absolutely think so and i I also, I just want to just say thank you to Heather for those nice words. And I also want to, you know, she knows this, but Dushka, 
Working with her was a thrill of a lifetime. And the worst part about writing Niche Down was when it ended. I did not want to not be writing a book with her. I did not want to not be in communication with her, you know, on a almost daily basis for a, a meaningful period of time, working on something that was so important to both of us. And so I loved that experience. I will never be able to thank you enough for that experience, Heather. And I'm really hoping one day you'll do it again with me. <laughs> I love the shit out of you. I really do. Guys, this is the seed I'm trying to plant with my question. <laughs> I got you, Christopher. Oh, you had me at hello. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, first of all, it's a little unfair because I'm deeply in love with both of you. And so, like, I'm just going to be in that place for this conversation. Um, so, but to get to your, your question, <clears throat> I think there's another one. There's a couple. I think there's another one that flies in the face of, maybe what is the number one is so the two number one pieces of entrepreneur advice I hear today are one hustle, 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 and two follow your passion. And it turns out both of them are fucking stupid. Um, if you need to be told to hustle, that is to say, you're going to have to work hard as an entrepreneur. You're not an entrepreneur. Go get it. Go get a government job. You're going to have to work hard. It's 80 hours a week. That's what it is. And if you're not mission driven about what you're up to, then, you know, go get a government job. Uh, and then follow your passion. I remember, Heather, when we we had uh, John McDonald, the founder of uh, Semi Handmade, on the podcast, and he's in the book, and he's a really it's a really fun story. And um, on Legends and Losers, Dushka, and the company is an Inc. 500 company, and they create these custom front ends to IKEA back ends, so you can get a very high end looking kitchen at you know slightly more than Ikea prices, essentially, is, is, is where they, is this new niche they found. And, and he's unbelievable. I, I've fallen in love with him. Anyway, on Legends and Losers, he says he had, he'd moved from Philadelphia to become an actor or writer or, you know, a Hollywood guy. And he was, he was in his late 30s. It hadn't worked. It wasn't working. He'd never got any meaningful work doing this stuff. And his words were, uh, I was the angriest waiter in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, my life began when I gave up on my dream. And so if you think about this stupidity around follow your passion, it's really bring your passion to something you can make a difference in. And I think oh. the truth is for many of us, not all of us, you know, there's some people who at age five know they want to be a vet and they become a vet and they're hugely successful and fucking eight, God bless them. But I think there's some meaningful percentage of us where that's not true. And success is about thrashing around. Success is about figuring out you're different. And most importantly, figuring out what makes you different in a way that solves a big problem that is not solved in the way you think it could or should be solved. And when you connect your different to a problem that matters in a unique way, and then either as an individual in your career or as an entrepreneur, ba-bam. So, you know, to, to finish the John McDonald story, he just, for some reason, on a whim, starts taking a carpentry class. He'd never done carpentry. So he's 38 years old. He takes a carpentry class. It, he's drawn to it for reasons he's not quite sure. He ends up cutting off one of his fingers, but he still keeps going. He doesn't know that it's going to be a career. And I could finish the story if it matters, but essentially one thing leads to another. And now he's this incredibly successful entrepreneur with this awesome business, and it's really worked out. And so 
the other part is this connection of, yes, what makes you different, but connected to a problem that matters and understanding that particularly if you're somebody who's a bit of a misfit, there's going to be some thrashing around. This notion success is about failing in the right direction. It's about experimenting. And it's also about being open. The idea for Semi Handmade came to him from a client while he was working on, you know, uh, carpentry shit. And so there's also an openness to, huh, maybe, 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 you know, not to get religious, but, you know, maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder every once in a while, whether it's God or the universe or whatever you want to think about, life taps us on the shoulder and goes, hey, that way. And so I think all of us have to be listening mm-hmm. for the over there, not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Can I, if I could just add one thing that, that I'll, I'm just going to observe, um, and it's, uh, and I'm just thinking, I was just sort of testing my thesis with the different individuals you wrote about, but many of the problems that, that the, the folks in Niche Down were trying to solve were very personal problems. Yeah. Right. So Sarah Blakely, she, she had this like personal issue that she was trying to deal with with the stupid pantyhose and she had to wear them and she cut the feet off and how could I do this better? And you know, the, the, uh, the folks at Gojo with the soap, that was again, you know, she didn't want that harsh stuff on her hands. And so she had to, you know, figure out a, form, a new formula, but the, the problems in many instances are very personal. And then you realized that they're personal, but they're also bigger than personal, right? That other people have that same need and that you can take your experiences and share them mm-hmm. in a way that will help other people. So that was just something I've observed. That's yeah, kind of, and, and I, if I could just put a fine point on it, I think you're so right. And I think the other thing that we learned is not only is it personal, but very often the creator, the innovator, the entrepreneur is experiencing the problem, right? Debbie Sterling, gal who graduates Stanford engineering has, you know, young girls in her life, wants to buy them engineering, math, science oriented toys. All those toys she finds are mostly for boys. To quote the big Lebowski, she says, is this aggression will not stand. Bam. Goldie blocks, right? STEM toys for girls, science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, uh, Jack O'Neill, uh, the, the wetsuit, right? He, he says, I, I'm just a surfer who wanted to surf longer, right? And so it's like wearing a wool sweater is not cutting it. And so he goes to work in the garage. And so it's often what makes somebody mission driven often to, to underscore Heather is they're experiencing the problem personally and it's making them mental and they got to go do something about it. Like it's almost like they become possessed by it. So I would like to make a distinction here because I, I, in my opinion, we're talking about two different things. One is someone who takes a problem really personally and wants to fix it, which is like, which is a very driven person that goes, this pantyhose is just not okay. Or this wool sweater when I surf is not okay. But the other, the other kind of person is just trying to survive. And I think that that is you, Christopher, because you're like, I don't fit in the world. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I, I, I find it interesting that the entrepreneur makes either one equally urgent and equally important. Like for me, I just want to survive or I just want to feel like I belong. And for him, he just wants the right wetsuit. But I do think that there's very t- two very different um, problems being solved here. And one is the problem of whatever issue got under my skin and I will stop at nothing until I resolve it. Call it the pantyhose or the sweater or whatever. But the other is a desperate person saying, 
I feel stupid. I feel like I don't belong. I'm acting out in class. And, and that's real despair. Like, you know, to me, the, the, the point of bringing this up and the reason I, I want to make this distinction is because some people um, find your book and find a way out of a life that fit, feels like it doesn't fit. So to one, it is an, you know, an answer. And to, a, and to another, it is a lifesaver. Yeah, we talk about, and I, I can't remember exactly where, you'll, you know, you'll have to excuse me because like the book's, you know, personal, right? It's my life. So I don't remember where it is in the book. Um, but we absolutely make the point, And it's something that's so true for me and so true for many people I've talked to that there are some of us who have to make our place in the world because the experience we have is that there isn't one. Right. You have no choice. That's my point. And I would even take it further in that we have to not just make a place, but we almost have to make a, a little world for ourselves where we can make sense in that world. You know, like I don't make sense to a lot of people. And I, I know that. And it's it's a very horrible feeling when you feel, you know, like everyone else. You know, look, I think we fucking said it in the book. Uh, uh, Kermit the Frog says it best. It's not easy being green. Right. Yeah. And so if you have that, I'm green and it feels like, of course, it's not true, but it feels like no one else is. And why don't people understand me? And why, like, why isn't this working? And I know I'm much more capable than this or like why all that stuff. Right. Um, it, 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 it's the seed of self doubt. It's the seed of self hate. If I could even go that strong and, and it creates anxiety and it creates fear and it creates all of that. But the flip side to that is if you take a stand for yourself and you say, okay, you know, maybe I am green, but maybe there's other people who are green and I'm, I'm going to make the world bend to me as opposed to me bend to the world. Um, and I think in, in some ways niche down is also a celebration of that on the personal side, because, you know, you think about Heather, you know, your friend, Tom Zaki. It just, the way it was with garbage was like just offensive to his person. Yeah. And so the world needed to be yeah. different around garbage or, or, and he didn't say these words, I'm, I'm putting these words in his mouth, but having him on the show and reading, Heather's written about him for a long time and you tell me, Heather, but he had to do this because he wasn't going to be right in the world until the world was different in the area of garbage. You know, it's, um, I'll go, go back to him in a minute, but I do, Dushka, it's just a really great observation, um, your question. And I'm, I'm actually, I have to share, I don't think I've shared this with you, Christopher. I have been surprised by the number of my friends who have said that they've gotten this book for a young person, like a, a high school person that's just graduating or someone who just entered college or someone who's really trying to think through their career just as a way of thinking about where do, what do you want to be? Do you want to go and, and fit in somewhere and be part of the corporate world and, and understand the rules and um, use your creativity in that, in that way? And there's place, I mean, there are, by the way, great, some great sort of um, entrepreneurial uh, sorts of things within large companies. I mean, Campbell's Soup has a great food innovation happening in its 
umbrella, if you will, like there's a protection or somehow, I mean, it's obviously a different way. I mean, if you fail, you, you still have a job. If you, if you fail as an entrepreneur, you, you, you're, you fail, right? And your, your credit cards are maxed out or whatever. But I've been actually very surprised by the number of individuals who have said to me, I'm going to give this to you know, my nephew or whatever to help them just be under, to help them understand that it's okay to be different and that there is a path and that there's some really successful people that have been different. And, and, and if you look around you, it's not, and you don't have to be, it doesn't have, you don't have to have success doesn't have to be in a $500 million context. Success can be in a $500,000 context. I mean, what is, what is success to you? But I guess, you know, anyway, so I'm, I've been very pleasantly ha- uh, surprised by the n- number of people that have sort of said to me implicitly, you know, I love how you talk about this because it shows that success is very different for different people. Um, yeah, Tom Zaki is just a, an amazing individual. And, 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 you know, recycling existed before his company um, was there. I mean, he just... It existed, but what he did was change the concept of what what you do with stuff. This stuff is not garbage. This stuff is a resource. It's going to be upcycled into this other item. Um, and and it's, it, for me, it's the, the whole concept of a circular economy is and it changes the idea of consumerism. So he didn't invent recycling, but he got people to think about it differently. And that's what to me is so compelling. It's um, the company is amazing. But and by the way he also is willing to change. You know, he started out in one completely different place. He was just taking this stuff and making worm proof, you know, taking fertilizer and, and thinking very consumer oriented. Now he's thinking much large, much more largely. And in order to get there, he had to make some decisions that were hard, you know, like I'm going to completely change the way I'm thinking and I'm going to switch it. So anyway, I'm, I'm babbling. <laughs> So um, here, here's the, here's my last question. I think that when you write a book, um, the thing that you have on your mind is this thing is going to outlive me. Um, the whole point of writing a book is that you leave something behind. Um, so you should know. (laughs) So what is it that you guys feel that you will leave behind, um, that you, uh, you know, encoded somewhere in this book? Maybe you go first, Christopher, and then we'll come back to Heather and wrap. Thank you. <laughs> so it's funny, your premise for the question, because I, I don't maybe have that high of an opinion of myself. So I didn't think about niche down or even for that matter, play bigger in terms of leaving something behind, although I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened for me on with play bigger and then it became even more powerful for niche down, you know, Peggy Burke said to me, look, You've got something to say. It's really important. It's very unique. And you got to give this back. And she she was trying to convince me that I had become an elder statesman in Silicon Valley. And I was like, what? Like, you were sounds- like, well, you put it that way. No, thank you. Well, you know, first of all, the elder part and the statesman part. Not I'm so older than either. both of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm neither elder nor statesmanly. But what she was really saying to me, and I think she even used these words, is you have a responsibility to, you know, put the shit down. So that sort of drove me. But on, on Niche Down, I was, because of the experience of doing Play Bigger, I was keenly aware that this book could make a difference to a handful of people in the way that 
a handful of books made a difference to me when I was 18 to 25. And there are books that I've read more recently that have made a huge difference. But of course, when you're in formative years, formative shit feels more significant. And to Heather's point earlier about young people, um, you know, not that long ago, I did this, uh, it was almost two hour Q&A session with 75 to 100 young people in this Praxis program, which is a year long, essentially apprenticeship program. And they were all 18 to 20. I don't even know if they were even 25. I mean, young people. And I talked to Isaac Morehouse, the founder of Praxis afterwards, because he had told me, you know, for some people, this is going to be their first business book. And I thought, holy shit. And so I did a debrief with him afterwards because he actually wasn't on the call. He had uh, a gal from his organization do the call with me, which was a lot of fun. But anyway, um, so I said, I said to him how remarkable that was to me. And he said, no, Christopher, you need to understand something. For the vast majority of the young people in our program, because we asked them to read Niche Down heading into the program, it was the first business book they ever read. And that knocks me over. And it makes me happy is the wrong word. It's going to sound like I've lived on the West Coast too long, but joyous in that if the first business book, career book you ever read gave you the impression that it was okay to be yourself, and as a matter of fact, the path to success is being yourself, is celebrating your different, and then connecting that difference to something that's going to make a difference in the world. You know, this saying that pretty sure it was Heather came up with it, that it's the people who are different that make the difference, right? And if all they get out of it is that, and they, they don't feel like they're getting jammed into coloring in between the lines and being like everyone else, and that they actually can be free to be creative and innovative and, you know, follow their different, that, that's kind of it for me. And what do you think, Heather? Well, first of all, I, I'm curious to know what you think because <laughs> you have, I mean, this is what you do. But as a writer, um, I don't have any children um, and I won't. I'm, you know, it's just that time has passed. And for me, this book was like a child um, in, in a couple of, I felt like, well, I should say that I felt like this was my, 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 my contribution to the next generation because to Christopher's point, um, if someone can approach their career, I mean, you know it as well as I do, you, you, you act the way you, you were brought up, you, or at least many people do, you have the habits that you form as a young person follow you through your career, and you, you work in a certain way, and you process information in a certain way, and you make decisions in a certain way that you were... Um, programmed or, or taught or whatever the word is to, to do when you were young. And so if we can, um, for me, being able to share, I, I've always loved sharing. I, I, I've always loved sharing stories and being, and for me to be able to share and show examples of the fact that you can think this way and be different, that you don't have to be programmed. You don't have to be fit in. You don't have to, that you can put, by the way, that you can focus on a social impact, that you can do things that will make a difference for the world, that are good for the world, and it's okay. You don't have to be like this, that you can be an entrepreneur and a capitalist and also be like really a good steward of the planet. That, that for me, that's my, my holy grail is to, that, you know, people that focus on that. 
Um, and yeah, so when I was writing this, I, I've always thought about writing a book. I never had an original idea on my own. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, like, which is why I just love what you write. It's just the pillow fort thing. I'm, I can't wait for. Um, but, um, you know, if I can at least interpret and translate and share these stories that will help other people be inspired in a different way than I'm that, 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 that's what makes, as you can tell, because I can't speak very clearly right now, that's what makes me excited and passionate about what would I do. And I know that I can do that. I know that I can help tell stories in a way that people can relate to. And one of the, my favorite things about this book is people keep telling me, Oh my God, it, it was so accessible. It was so easy, not easy, but so uh, yeah, I guess easy. It was easy to read. Like I could read it quickly and I could take the information out of it. It wasn't like this uh, business textbook, you know, like the, I just, anyway, so I'm not being very, very, uh, eloquent right now, but that's, that's, I, I was excited to do that and I'm happy that I did. Heather, I don't think you sound like you think you sound. You sound like- <laughs> See, I'm a, I'm a person that doesn't have very much confidence. You sound amazing, choice. Heather Clancy. I really do. <laughs> So guys, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I read the book and I thought it was wonderful. And I, and I think that my takeaway from it was what a gift it was to people who have not given themselves permission to be who they really are. And I think that it sounds like a platitude, but I think that the day that you realize that who you are is okay and that who you are is what's going to make you successful is, I think that's no small thing. So thank you both for writing it. Thank you for reading it. Thank you. And with that, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. I love you both. Bye. Bye. Now, do you think that was a conversation worth sharing? Uh, Is there somebody in your life who you think would love this episode? Why not share it with them right now? You can email it uh, to them. You can text it to them. And we would love you just a little bit extra if you shared this episode on social media. Make no mistake, you sharing this podcast is the biggest thing you can do to say thank you to us. Now, (laughs) that's of course, if you want to say thank you to us. Now, it's time to get growing, isn't it? NetSuite wants to help you master your growth. Check out netsuite.com slash different. And when you go there, as a listener to this podcast, you will be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. NetSuite has been a pioneer in the digital commerce industry since 1998. 1998, kids. I'll tell you, that was a hell of a year, 1998. <laughs> they provide a uh, an e-commerce solution that is really a un- what you could think of as unified e-commerce. We're living at a time today um, where uh, we have what's called an omni-channel world. Customers need to be able to get to you from your website, from a mobile device, from a uh, tablet, and so forth. And uh, what, what's required to be successful is to connect your website to your commerce capability, to your inventory, and to your back office, and ultimately your accounting systems. And that's what you get with NetSuite. NetSuite powers thousands of online businesses, helping them to grow their revenue. With NetSuite, you can connect um, to your website to design the experience you want for your brand. You can transform your store, so to speak, delivering a continuous shopping experience by unifying all of the online and in-store buying journey. Uh, And it works on any device. Responsive web design that allows you to build device-optimized online shopping experiences that display beautifully and elegantly across smartphones, tablets, laptops, and desktops. 
And um, the beauty of NetSuite is it's a complete system. It's a suite. It's what's called an ERP business suite. And so by standardizing on NetSuite, you can get rid of many, many different disconnected di- disconnected systems uh, that can really get in the way of delivering awesome online experiences to your customers and ultimately driving revenue and driving growth. To learn more, check out netsuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. Uh, check it out on Amazon.com today. And while you're on Amazon.com, check out this awesome book by Dushka Zapata, How to Build a Pillow Fort and Other Valuable Lessons. She's written, I don't I don't even know how many now, five, six books. They're incredible. Uh, Dushka's books make awesome gifts. Check out uh, Dushka Zapata, How to Build a Pillow Fort and Other Valuable Lessons while you're on Amazon. Also, some other good stuff to read, uh, greenbiz.com, G-R-E-E-N-B-I-Z or Z, depending on, uh, you know, your religious beliefs on the alphabet. Greenbiz is where entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are trying to uh, uh, do good business uh, by doing good things for the environment go to learn about all of that stuff. Check it out. And Heather Clancy is the executive editor of greenbiz.com. Uh, Another awesome place to check out while you're on the interweb, growwire.com. It's what legendary entrepreneurs read, stories of innovation, motivating, inspiring stories. Uh, Check out growwire.com. And uh, are you in Australia? Do you want to do some legendary marketing? Why not check out rapidmedia.com.au. And another nonprofit that I love, the Front Row Foundation, Making Moments That Matter. Uh, particularly for people with life-threatening conditions. As you know, trying to deal with and overcome uh, a life-threatening disease is probably the most challenging thing a human being can face. And the Front Row Foundation puts together uh, a day, a miracle kind of a day for somebody in that situation. Go check them out, thefrontrowfoundation.org. All right, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. All rights do remain perturbed. The information contained in this podcast should not be taken without the express written consent of a medical professional. Don't forget to support your local podcaster. Uh, buy John's Crazy Socks. Um, also, don't forget, hey, podcasts make a great gift. They're free, and uh, you might turn somebody on to something that they enjoy on a weekly basis. So uh, make podcasts a gift this uh, this holiday season. Only buy pasture-raised, free-range eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together. Today, deepest apologies go out to Christine Cummerford. Sorry, Christine, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon on Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different.